They're asking who caused this problem and who will pay to fix it. I think our contribution to the effects of climate change is but a drop in the ocean. So yes, it is frustrating because all we do is face the consequences. Eh? I want to find out how people are coping with this crisis which is lapping at their door. Yes, that's Craig Rucastle, who was the guest host on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's foreign correspondent. And he went to what they described as the last resort, that's Fiji, to find out how it was coping with the climate crisis. And this is the latest episode of Climate Conversations. Welcome, it's so great to have you on board. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Here's a little more from The Last Resort with Craig Rucastle, and you'll find a link for the entire event in the show notes. Fiji, it's heaven on a selfie stick. Hundreds of thousands of people come here every year for a tropical escape. Many of them Australians, including me. But I want to take you away from the resorts, to the people who live here, but can't escape the impact climate change is having on their lives. All the people were crying because that was their last day. The seas here are rising fast, and it's getting worse. I was here. And this is your house? My house. The cyclones are more ferocious than ever, leaving a costly trail of destruction. Just like a monster entering a particular place and... It's a nightmare. It's really a nightmare for us. Across the country, hundreds of villages are at risk. All the numbers are gone, like the main sources of income in yeah. our village. And people are having to leave their homes and change their way of life to survive, whether they want to or not. They just want to stay here in their land. Yeah. Because, you know, this is their, their identity is being identified within this island. They're asking who caused this problem and who will pay to fix it. I think our contribution to the effects of climate change is but a drop in the ocean. So yes, it is frustrating, because all we do is face the consequences. eh? I want to find out how people are coping with this crisis, which is lapping at their door. I don't want to leave uh, this island, because it's a paradise, it's my homeland. Yes, that is from foreign correspondent on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and I'm your host, Robert McLean. You'll find a link for that foreign correspondent story in the show notes. The group Climate 200 has had a significant impact on Australian politics, and just today, the group's executive director, Byron Fay, was interviewed on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's breakfast program. Let's listen now to what he had to say. The Albanese government is likely to be wishing itself a happier new year in 2024 after a bruising few months that saw it slide in the polls and face its first real challenges since being elected. As it looks to reset and gear up for the next election, it may well be once again aided by independents bringing the fight to the coalition on a second front. 
The Climate 200 Group, which backs some independents and so-called teal candidates before the 2022 poll, is already planning its moves with one eye turned to the key state of Queensland. Byron Fay is the Executive Director of the Climate 200 Group. Byron, welcome to RM Breakfast. Good morning, Sally, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Uh, You as well. What's your read of Queensland? What sort of potential do you see there for some of the independent and so-called teal candidates? Well, what we're seeing in Queensland is similar to what we're seeing in other parts of the country, where communities are, are seeing the good work being done by independents that are already in Parliament, whether it be um, David Pocock in the Senate or Zali Stegall or others like Allegra Spender and are saying, wow, this is a, an interesting type of representation and they're achieving great results and, and we would love to have a similar sort of community process to select our own community representative here in, here in our seat. And so we're seeing that um, grow up all around the country. The community independence movement has legs, it's growing. Uh, and so it's, yes, extending to Queensland, but in lots of other places around the country as well. And we're often getting contacted by new community groups who are, who are setting up, um, asking for support, asking for resources, asking for advice. And we're more than happy to give that. But really, this, this movement starts with the community. It's all about the community um, doing its own work. And then once the community gets to a certain level and, and decides it wants to go down a path of, of having a candidate, and running a campaign, then we have a, another discussion with them and that's when we, we, we make an assessment as to whether there's values alignment with Climate 200 um, and decide whether to get involved in the campaign. But really, there's a, there's a lot of work that happens um, before that and that's what we're seeing right now around the country happen. But Byron, in the last federal election, that brand of independence didn't make a big impact in Queensland. It was the Greens who pushed through. Why do you think that you can have the success when the Greens have that foothold there already? Well, I think you've got a lot of uh, seats around the country, including in Queensland, that are that are very similar to the independent seats um, that that where community dependents were successful last time around. So these tend to be safe seats, right? Where uh, in the case of Queensland, often it's the LNP has, has held the seats for for a long time, and the communities there have really been failed by that um, representation. You know, failed on issues like integrity failed on issues like cost of living, failed on issues like protection of the local environment from threats like climate change, but also failed on, on things like funding. And, and it's great examples of this, particularly here in Queensland. In the lead up to the 2022 federal election, there was $2.4 billion spent on community grants by the then Morrison government. If you average that out of the 151 lower house seats, it should be about $18 million per seat that you would receive. But McPherson here on the southern Gold Coast got less than $1 million. Fadden got less than $1 million, which is on the northern Gold Coast. And Moncrief got about $1.5 million that's there on the central Gold Coast. So this compares to other seats that are marginal seats, like Peter Dutton's seat of Dixon got $44 million. Other marginal seats around the country got even more. And independent held seats, uh, like Indi down in Victoria, got $30 million through that through that program. And so whether it be policy or whether it be funding, it's quite clear that if your seat is safe, you're not going to get the representation that you really deserve because, you know, frankly, what's, you know, what's in the interest of, of, of the major party that represents you if it's just banked, it's a safe seat. And so um, really, you know, communities are seeing that, waking up to that, seeing that they're not well served by having the same representation election on election and they're looking for a different way of doing it and the community independence model is highly adaptable. It's all about the community 
getting engaged in their democracy, many people getting engaged for the very first time. That's one of the things we we love about the community independence movement. It's most people have never been involved involved in politics before, and people are really inspired by that. They're having a lot of fun with that. It's empowering, and and really you see that um, at the core of these community independent campaigns around the country, there is this this volunteer army that that really is the result of of that people not previously feeling like they're listened to and finally having a chance to have their voices heard. Byron Fay, how heavily will you be targeting Queensland in the state election? So we don't, you know, climate change, it's a demand-driven model, right? So we don't target anywhere. It's all about where the community um, rises up and decides it wants to go on this journey and but then we're responsive them. to where... Yeah, and we're, we're responsive to where that happens. But we, we supported 23 campaigns around the country in the lead-up to 2022, the federal election, uh, four of them were incumbent independents who were successful. Another seven of them were new independents, including David Pocock in the Senate. And there were others out there that, that came close, like Nicolette Buller in Bradfield on the north shore of, of Sydney and Alex Dyson in Wannan on the southwest coast of, of Victoria came extre- extremely close. And so those communities were already engaged um, with them. You know, we have existing relationships there. And so we'll be supporting those communities if they ask for um for assistance to go again, um, but there's others, and and yes, you, you, you've mentioned up here in Queensland. There's a community group here that's active in uh, the Southern Gold Coast, where where I live, in, in the seat of McPherson, and they are engaging in what's the first step in this community democracy process, which is the listening. And this is the kind of key difference: is that it starts with listening to the community, trying to understand what the community wants and then forming a policy suite and finding a community candidate from there who represents what the community is all about. And so the community group here, McPherson Matters, has begun that process. They're they're doing the community listening kitchen table conversation process, have had about 130 people, I believe, through their kitchen table conversations. And so it's literally getting people around the kitchen table and asking them what's important to them. Uh, and so that process is is ongoing. Um, but as I say, it's, it's the very start. And so they haven't even decided, I don't think, whether they're going to go ahead and run a campaign. Um, but they are doing that listening process to figure out what the community cares about. And I think if you're, you're out there and, and you're, you're hearing about the community dependence movement for the first time, it's a great, um, you know, e- example of how it's all about the people who show up. It's all about getting involved. And so um, if you... Just during the the previous election, how do you know that some of the success of the independence, we know that it was many women who were changing votes. How do you know that that wasn't simply a reaction against Prime Minister Scott Morrison and his government? What confidence do you have that you can repeat that if there are different dynamics at play next time? You know, politics is made anew every every election and so... um, yeah, it's not 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 possible to know what's um, what's going to be successful and what's not. But I think there's you know there's good examples of the community independence movement having um, long term success. And so it wasn't just at the last federal election where independence won. If you go back to 2019, you had um, Zali Stegall winning against Tony Abbott in Warringah. If you go back uh, elections before, you've had independence in Indi with Kathy McGowan winning that seat down in Victoria. Rob Oakeshott. Tony Windsor, you know, we've, we've had independents that have, that have been successful throughout Australian political history. What we did at Climate 200 was give a bit of structure to the support for independents that were values aligned with us. And we have three core values. One, a science-based response to the climate crisis. Two, restoring integrity to politics because we need 
we definitely need more, more of that. And, and third, gender equality. And so if those three values are shared by a community campaign, then we think we're in a position to support them. We, we will do so. And, and we do that. We, we deploy that support um, through a number of avenues. Obviously, there's donations, funding, and it, it does cost money to run political campaigns, particularly when you're up against the professional machines that are the major parties that are, that are very good at um, winning campaigns. Secondly, we, we have a fairly sophisticated analytics program. For us, it's really important for data to be central to what we do. It helps us to make better decisions, but it also helps the community groups we support to make better decisions. We also have a communications function and we also have a capacity building function. Byron Fay, we'll need to leave it there. Time is against us. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Let's listen now to 90 seconds from Yale Climate Connections. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. In the Great Lakes region, intensifying rainstorms are increasing the risk of flooding, especially in low-lying areas with little green space to soak up water. So in three states, Sea Grant programs are working to protect vulnerable neighborhoods by collaborating with residents. They're excited about thinking about how to control runoff on their property, how to make sure that their home stays safe from these increased precipitation events. Tiffany Sprague is with the Natural Resources Research Institute at the University of Minnesota Duluth. As part of the One Block at a Time project, her team held listening sessions with residents of Duluth's Lincoln Park neighborhood. She says many expressed a desire to help implement solutions. As a result of that, one of the things we did was a free rain barrel giveaway program. They threw a block party where residents could sign up and receive a rain barrel. A partner organization helped connect the barrels to people's downspouts. So during storms, water is collected in the rain barrel instead of running off and contributing to flooding. And sure, one rain barrel on one person's house may not solve all the problems, but it helps give people a voice and to say, hey, I'm playing an active part in managing water. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. Southeastern Queensland and northeastern New South Wales are presently being drenched by amounts of rain which those of us down here in southeastern Victoria cannot even imagine. They're getting hundreds of centimetres of rain. In old terms, that's many, many inches. We just can't imagine that. Listen to this. More heavy rain is forecast and there are flood warnings too for already waterlogged parts of southeast Queensland. There are also minor flood warnings in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales. Some residents who've been dealing with the deluge and power outages since Christmas Day say they're exhausted. However, as Annie Guest reports, authorities warn the highly unpredictable weather isn't over yet. Since a Christmas night tornado hammered Harriet Shari Hughes's Gold Coast hinterland home, the deluge hasn't stopped. And it's just been pretty, pretty tough, actually. I'm, I'm totally exhausted now. I, I don't think Mother Nature could be more aggressive than she's been this Christmas. Um, it's been so tough. A thundercrack punctuates our phone call. And it's just been torrential rain, thunder and lightning non-stop. It may go calm just for about 15 minutes and then it starts again. So it just came around. Oh! Um, sorry, that caught me by surprise. 
Was that another thunder? That was really loud. Yeah, that gave me a fright. Harriet Shari Hughes runs a pet motel near Tambourine and has been busy reassuring owners their animals are okay. The water everywhere, the, the paddocks are becoming lakes. I don't know, it's going to take months to get this place back to normal. Generator died and they've sold out generators and I managed to find one at some extortionate price. But my water pump from the kennel was just went underwater. Now it's shorting out the power for that. But obviously, I, I, it's a worry about everybody else in the area too. With hundreds of millimetres of rainfall, residents have been warned to shelter inside their homes or go to an evacuation centre. Flooding is cutting off roads both in southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales, not far from last year's floods. Here's SES Superintendent Scott McLennan. So the challenge for us is the extreme flash flooding event, which is actually affecting a lot of Queensland tourists to in and around the northern rivers. But most of those are actually either tourists being caught in flash flooding areas or tourists being caught on the sides and banks of creeks and causeways that they don't necessarily know. He says most of the rescues have been around Tumbolgum, Mwilumbar and Chillingham in the Tweed Valley, where some tourists woke with water in their tents at roadside campsites. So we've had a couple of people we've rescued from the top of their cars. We've had people that we've had to get out from beside their cars and assist them through those floodwaters, which are quite treacherous. With the ground already saturated, authorities warn flash flooding is particularly dangerous. Any guest reporting. And now we have more from the drama in southeastern Queensland. Well, good evening and happy new year. First up tonight, Queensland's southeast is being warned to brace for more wild weather with a dangerous storm system set to dump hundreds of millimetres of rain. Homes were evacuated and roads closed early this morning when an overnight deluge across southeast Queensland and the New South Wales Northern Rivers region caused flash flooding. Evacuation centres on the Gold Coast are now open tonight and the Australian Defence Force may be called in with the rain potentially to last into Wednesday. Lives on the line in two states as rivers run through backyards. Campers left stranded with daring rescues throughout the New South Wales Northern Rivers and the Gold Coast hinterland. As the skies again opened on regions already sodden. So last week, Christmas Day, they had a monster storm. Houses were destroyed. Now look at this. Towns in the northern New South Wales are on high alert, with the Tweed River swelling, cutting access to many locations. As authorities plead with campers on riverbanks to think of their safety and others. You are putting other people's lives at risk by not keeping in contact with family and friends, but I urge you to move away from the creeks and rivers in the northern rivers area. Some of those warnings include the risk of landslips now because of unstabilised ground. So we've seen also large trees and other trees that will be uh, loose in the earth and now with that earth becoming sodden, they're at risk of falling. Some still defying the orders to stay clear of floodwaters and the dangers lurking beneath. Walking or driving into floodwaters and coming off second best. Most people were able to self-extricate from their vehicles and get out of those floodwaters. 
um, and we're only lucky that we haven't had any serious injuries or fatalities at this stage. And we're being told it'll be some time before the conditions ease with more rain on the way. Warnings are in place from Gympie through to northern New South Wales. It's really important to realise that uh, you know you may be in an area that's vulnerable to flash flooding, may have already occurred, it may be yet to occur. Bianca Carboni for 10 News First. Well here we are at the end of another episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks for your company, it's been great to have you along. Now please don't forget to check out the show notes, there's a bit lots of links in there. Well, I shouldn't say lots of links. It's been a bit quiet over Christmas and New Year, but there'll be a few links in there about stories that tell us more about the climate crisis. Now, please, I urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. And I'd love you to share this with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. Who's saying what, why they're saying it, and what we're saying, what we should be doing, and what action we should be taking. Also, I'd love to know what you think about this podcast, so please email me at number 7 at iCloud.com. Now, don't hold back. Good or bad, please let me know. Please email me. Now, until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now, take care and stay safe.